Hey everybody, welcome back to Authentic Avenue. My name is Adam Connor, and the guest today covers something that I know actually probably less about than I should. His name is Rich Wilson. He is the founder and CEO of a company called ClickOn, which is a marketing firm uh, based in the UK, actually. And the topic that I need to know more about that he takes me to school on is content tech. And normally I think about those two in conjunction but what we come to learn on the podcast today is that we have a long way to go with how creativity meets technology and where the middle of that is. Rich knows it, and he's been building a company around it since 2014 and himself has seen the transition from a mostly bespoke documentary creative company to one that has built a platform, they actually call it Creative OS, to help brands create content at scale. And we talk about what the future of that might be. And I learn a little bit more about what he stands for. And he defines the A word, of course, authenticity, because how could you not? Um, and we speculate a little bit on the metaverse, but that's in the last like minute or two. Anyway, I think it's a, a great chat, pretty laid back one as well, which is refreshing from a founder. And I hope that you enjoy it too. So without further ado, this is Rich Wilson. Rich, how are you? Good to chat with you. Want to learn more about your story. But first, um, how are you doing? I'm good. Good to see you, Adam. How are you? Uh, I've been fine. I have. Uh, it's been a little while since we talked last. Listeners, we do a little bit of prep. Actually, viewers, we do a little bit of prep. It's been like one to two months in the planning here. Uh, but we both had things going on. And uh, now we get to come together. We get to talk about uh, content tech, using cool content tech, which is nice. Click on. Let's start there. I want to learn about how, like what the inspiration was to start it and then how you experienced such a meteoric rise and, uh, and what's next generally, but we'll do what's next later. Let's start with that baseline. Let's learn more about you. Let's learn more about your why. More about the why. Wow. Click on, click on has been a, a sort of, a sort of work of work of love really. You know, we, we, we started, you know, quite a few, quite a few years ago and it's. I think at the core of ClickOn, it's always been a sort of a sense of purpose and mission and 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 storytelling. So, you know, we started in the publishing space uh, and we were doing branded content as well, um, and and we saw huge shifts. You know, huge shifts in the market. And I think just as Facebook and all of these social channels were starting to grow at, at a frightening speed, there was there was those disruptions starting to happen. And actually, what what we saw happening as as our publishing side was scaling was actually brands were realizing that they didn't need to go through intermediaries anymore. They could go directly to the audiences via the via the platforms. And you know, click on click on was sort of living, and we were living this as this huge shift was 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 happening. And and what we ultimately realized was that you know brands could reach audiences directly. They just needed people to show them how to do it. Um, and I think that was really the nexus of, of how we got our break, um, you know, and, and I think fast forward to where we are today, social platforms are still here stronger than ever. And, and I think more than ever, brands are realizing that they can own their relationships and, you know, that, that ability to do that requires amazing people. It requires technology and, and, and we're right in the middle of that right now. So it's kind of exciting. When did that break happen? Can you talk about the break for a second? Everybody's got one. I just want to know when it finally clicked for you because Facebook was there for several years before in terms of social content, at least in my recollection, really started exploding probably once in 2010, 11, and then again in 13, 14. I'm curious like where along, where along its trajectory yours was. Yeah, I, I think ours was probably in the in the sort of the, that sort of 2014, 15, where I, I think audiences had hit a critical mass and everybody started to take note. Because I think in the earliest days, people looked at Facebook as a sort of collegiate, you know, sort of collegiate platform, and almost a bit like people see esports, 
you know, to, to today and over the last three years, you know, we know there's something huge here, but we don't really know what to do with it. You know, are these people here, are they transient? Can we reach them? And so I, I think we joined at a time where, you know, publishers were getting into that mix, brands were getting into that mix, and, and people had to figure out how to speak to people, which is kind of weird thinking back now because, you know, who would, who would have thought we'd all be worrying about one-by-ones and 16-by-9s and 9-by-16s? You know, it was, it was another, another world back then. It was sure. uh, much simpler. So then I got to ask before we, we go on to the actual like meat and potatoes of what, of what ClickOn is and does and, and the trends that it supports, you saw that happen and your, your, your background is you have a, a shrewd investment mind that that's what you, you know how to do, allocate resources well. So what about the timing of it? I mean, because it, Facebook did have its wave a, a couple of different times. Were you tempted before that? Were there people nudging you on the shoulder like, Rich, nobody knows how to actually do this? Or like, or there's a big opportunity here, like we should dive in. Tell me about some of that. Like, did you bounce the idea off of people? How did they react to you? Did it happen prior to the launch? Take me through that process. I love the idea of people sort of testing the waters before they finally go in with both feet. You know, it's, it's really funny because I, I always go back to a story that that we had. So Ben, uh, my my you know my co-founder at ClickOn, we we set it up and we went into one of the huge publishing offices in London at the time. Publishers were doing well; they were the high and mighty. And and I, I won't name any names, but we went in there and we sat at, next to one of the one of the editors in chiefs. You know, the, the the big the big cheeses. And you know, we had, we had, you know we were doing a lot on social. We had huge audiences. They didn't, and they sort of looked at us and they sort of said, you know what are you guys talking about? We don't need you. Um, you know, we've, we've got this figured out, you know, you, you, you guys are just another little sort of transient company, you know, with big ambitions. We're fine. We've got this. And, and I remember just sitting there and we just looked at each other and, uh, myself and Ben, and then we looked at this guy and he was just being dead serious. And he was almost so unimpressed with what we were trying to do. He just kept looking up at the wall at his photographs, almost so disinterested in what we were doing. We were just sitting there thinking, you know, this is this is really interesting, and in a weird way, it makes you want to try harder. Oh uh, yeah, and it makes you want to prove people wrong faster. And I, I felt like that was a really interesting moment. I always go back to it when people tell you no and they say you're wrong. You sort of you, you double down and you just push harder. And that was that was an interesting moment for us because we just knew that even the biggest people in the space just they couldn't see it. Uh, I love that idea. Somebody sits there like disinterested and looks right at me, or or um, let me trade a story with you first. Because this, this idea is super strong. No matter where you, you, you come from, no matter what pretense there is, if you come in and somebody like challenge you directly to your face, like, I don't care how I felt when I was outside the door, I'll walk in the door. And if you tell me something, I, it's probably to a fault, like in my head, first I'll just, I'll get, I'll react and I'll get mad. And then, and then I will really like bear down and be like, nope, I'm going to prove you wrong and I'm going to embarrass you. And then I'm going to, and then I'm going to maybe disrupt you and take you over or do something better. Uh, so this, this happened where I was um, interviewing, I was in New York, listeners to a previous podcast of mine will, will know this interview, but they won't know the context. So I get to give it. I was in New York for an advertising conference. I got 12 minutes to interview this big cheese, so you say, in, in, in advertising, who's from the UK, Sir Martin Sorrell, from, uh, who had founded WPP and now is doing S4 Capital, where he's like, building another huge, mostly digital powerhouse, which I wonder how close that approaches what the thing you're trying to disrupt is. 
Um, I'll never forget this. Within like the first minute or two of the interview, he, uh, he started calling me by the wrong name. And I didn't have like the courage to like correct him because this was the biggest name that I'd ever gotten in front of in the advertising world. And so I just sort of internally boiled. And then later on, I was like, man, is it like, is it that I just didn't like garner the respect as like an interviewer or as a podcaster? Like, am I not hard hitting enough? And that was in August of 19 or maybe September of 19. And after that, I just hit the pavement super hard. I like double, tripled my output. I like never stopped again and haven't. I love those moments. In the moment, I don't like love them, love them. But then looking back, love them. So cool. I'm glad you had that moment because it spurs a lot of action. And it's, you know, for whatever reason. Anyway, cool. Nice base. Now, your job today is to prove that guy wrong, uh, but to broadly help brands be better storytellers. The way that you've done it, as I understand it, and you'll tell me more about it, is specifically through documentary-based storytelling. I love that because I'm a fan of long form, mostly in the audio format, dabbling in video. I think that's great. You did that several years earlier. Can you explain, I guess for the super untrained eye and ear, why that? what's different about documentary-based storytelling from other like typical storytelling we see brands do? And an example or two of how you made it different for somebody. Yeah, sure. It, it it's it's really interesting because we you know we got a big, I guess another one of our defining points, and we 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 seem to have many. You know, I guess a relation to how quickly this industry shifts is is documentary content. So Ben and I we sat down in in probably twenty seventeen, maybe a little bit before, and we and we sort of said right, we're really going to commit to to building in, incredible story driven content, and we created a huge pool of original content. You know, across a whole different you know array of people and topics and and in addition we started then offering that to brands as, as a way of sort of building almost authenticity within you know within what it was that they were doing because i i think there's no better way than documentary storytelling of, of of just getting to the real nuts and bolts of who you are and what you do um i mean god look at youtube look at you know you look at netflix look at all these channels now it's 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 all long form um you know, I mean, God, can you imagine literally three or four years ago, people were saying long form doesn't really exist anymore. It's like, go on, go on YouTube. I'm telling you right now it does. And it's still going strong. Um, look at podcasts. So, we, you know, we, we, we sort of got a big break and we started working with brands, you know, you know, from Special Olympics and an incredible organization in the US, you know, promoting, you know, inclusion. And I, I worked with them was just telling stories and it sounds really simple, but it, it's really not because everyone's idea of, of stories and content differs, but you know, how do you actually reposition a brand and tell amazing stories about the people, the work they do, the lives they change uh, and do it at scale. And, you know, what, what you start to realize is you actually get into the DNA of, of, of who they are and, you know, the sort of beating heart. And that's been a great love, a great sort of, love for us working with those guys because I, I think there's probably no greater mission than, than what they're up to you know across all of the american american schools and the american youth so i think that's one great example and, and i guess another one is is probably the, the the u.s navy for for american audiences we work with you know amazing agencies and you know and and, and the navy to help promote recruitment and and i think what they realized was that you know chess banging and you know big michael bay 
movies and blockbuster style TV ads just weren't weren't doing the job anymore. Young people are too clever. They know the game. You've got to tell stories. Um, you've got to inspire people at the grassroots level. Why do people join? It's not it's it's not to be GI Joe. It's it's to actually be given a sort of sense of purpose and a real mission. And I think the Navy enables that. And and that's mm. the different that's the differentiation that you only get through storytelling and documentaries. So. Yeah, I, I saw that with the, I mean, I wasn't focused specifically on the Navy, but the thing that most hits me about like, what's an ad for the army that I remember at this point, I don't know how many years ago it was probably 10 or 15, but for a while, the army in the U S did these like sandstorm, like charges. Like that was basically the whole ad was like yeah. these soldiers running through the thing. And it's like, oh, okay. But then over time it was discovered that well not discovered it was just it became more generally known that like man that's not it at all i mean really unless you're in like full-time war so anyway i i i agree i think that the same can be told for uh brands who aren't in the military uh externally or internally i think there's a huge uh still untapped opportunity there though you're chipping away at that and um you took this ability to document and just tell stories, which is simple as it sounds, it's a little harder to pull off. And it gave you the right, from what I understand, to turn your business from just we tell stories into content tech. Now, here's where my knowledge starts to like go off the rails a little bit, because when I think of content tech, I think of maybe a website that I can plug a video into and resize it to the 169916 that you're talking about before. I mean, like, I really don't know as much about it. Um, but I do know there's a heck of a lot of opportunity there. And there's a heck of a lot of brands that probably need that because it makes content so much more versatile. So what was your inspiration, I guess, in the second jump from help brands tell stories to we got to be a platform for that as opposed to a more maybe bespoke house that just told one brand story and moved on. Can you explain that a little bit? Yeah, I, I, I think that's really interesting. And, and in a weird way, it's actually kind of the two journeys coming to coming together. So you take a company with DNA and, and digital publishing, creating hundreds, thousands of assets at scale every day. And then you fuse that with sort of branded storytelling. Um, and, and you sort of, you, you, you know, publishing requires technology expertise, you know, creating original great content, you know, requires creative expertise. So, you know, we, we were getting more and more requests from clients to sort of deliver, you know, a thousand assets in five days, you know, ridiculous requests, but that, yeah, that's, that's the world well, we live hang in. Hang on a minute. That seems like, I don't care if you have the best, you know, I almost said there, I almost said AI, but I know that we're going to talk about that in a little bit. How in the hell do you do that? Anyway, go on. And it's well, we we just realized that the you know content's not going to go away. I mean, you could see you, you know you can see that from the growth of the platform. So we started investing in technology just to help the the creation process. So, you know, I think where do all the issues fall down when you you know you get overloaded with requirements? You just have to use technology to do all the heavy lifting. So we started investing in technology to help you know the thousand assets and five day kind of clients and. You know, we built it, you know, one of our advisors calls it eating your own dog food. It's a horrible analogy, but it, it mm. is what it is. And um, we, we we built it and scaled a business off of it and, and ultimately then started turning that product into something that we knew other people would also need because it was solving such a big problem for us. So that 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 is how we sort of morphed into being, I guess, more of a, 
I guess, from sort of publishing at scale to storytelling and documentaries at scale to being a hybrid creative and technology company, just sort of fusing the two together. Let's talk about that process next, because you have managed to build a process for this distributed content at scale, but also the ability to do it remotely, which in this case is not just, oh, I sit at home at a desk and I I, I can't get the on-site filming experience from here at the desk, but if I can distribute the people around, I can get things done a lot more quickly. And you've blueprinted this. I enjoy that because I like talking to people who have blueprinted certain elements of business. And I would like to ask without you peeling back the entire onion to learn, how did you blueprint it? And what what is that process of remote content production as ClickOn sees it? I think it's, I, I guess you have to sort of look forward and then look back. So, I mean, you, you know, you, you brought up Simon Sorrell earlier and I, I think there's a really interesting analogy there. He's, he's, he's obviously a hard, a hard interviewer, but I think his... You know his his model and the model of the sort of companies of old. You know you you always have the sort of the big holding groups, and then you have these new era companies. You know your sort of S four capitals and and some of the stuff that Firmilac is doing, and then you come into the new third space. If you were going to build a global agency today, um, wouldn't you build half of it on technology? You know, wouldn't you accept that ESG and sustainability is where the world's going? That people won't travel as freely as they did? That remote working is a thing? Um, you know, wouldn't you be, wouldn't you build a company that's half technology, half people, you know, where technology can do a lot of the heavy lifting, drive cost efficiencies, reduce carbon emissions, and then, you know, support that with human creativity, i.e. people. And I think that's where we find ourselves now. And that's the model where we find ourselves that the, the demand for content is bigger than it's ever been before. You know, brands are looking to do more in-house. They need the technology to help them to do it. And they need access to, to sort of remote teams all around the world. You know, it's, it's almost everything coming together for many different reasons, but, but all at the same time. That That's what I've seen for sure. When I talk to brands who are like at the CMO level, a lot of it is like, oh, we've done a lot of this. We've brought a lot of this in-house. The source locally, I've, I've like to go and find talent somewhere and be able to manage them remotely. I've actually seen less, but maybe that's catching up. Really, the only way that I can visualize it is, okay, I'm a brand in the Washington, D.C. area of the U.S., but I would really like, I have a client that wants to film something in Paris or whatever. Well, I could take a whole team here and fly them over there. That's probably the carbon footprint you're talking about. Or I can source locally and find somebody in Paris. Now, that where the rubber meets the road for the tech, again, ignorant brain, I'm still thinking like, well, they'll just take that file and upload it into like Google Drive or whatever, and they'll send it over to me and I'll pull it down and that'll be it. That's not how you, that's how you get one piece to one piece, not how you get to one to a thousand in five days. So then let me ask you this, because obviously that's been on your brain. What are brands or people who are hungry for that sort of scale asking about next? Because my question is that how does the technology finally like coexist with all of those people? Like how can you can source that person locally, but how do you teach them to create the content at scale? Or do you take that upon yourself? And secondly, how do those two pieces, or will they ever, like serve to strengthen each other rather than serve as like two pieces which will have constant friction? Yeah. Really good question. And I, I think honestly, the two have to work harmoniously together. I, I think anybody or any industry, career, genre that, that 
that says that it can't work with technology going forward, I, I think is going gonna, is gonna to have a real hard time. Um, but I think brands are, you know, brands brands need to change. You know, we, we've met with global brands this year alone and they've said, look, gone are the days where we could send people around, you know, from Paris to New York to Shanghai to London, you know, doing projects. You, you have to find people on the ground. And if you bring people on the ground, you have to keep a certain quality. All right. So, 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 so that, so that means that you, you have to find a way to keep that quality and keep everybody communicating and, 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 and delivering together. And that has to be technology. There's no, there's no other way. Um, and, and so I don't think technology is ever going to necessarily replace creativity. I don't, I don't believe in that, but I, I think the two can work side by side as equals. Um, Let me bring back the AI conversation yeah. because that's most of yeah. the time, like, for, for instance, and in the podcast world, this does exist a, a little bit, which is kind of a cool idea, but it's very early. Take a, we take this podcast that we do, right? We're going to lay down probably 30, 35 minutes here. So I have that 30 minute chunk. I throw it into a platform. Something happens. And then boom, I got 20 pieces of stuff that are like audio clips and video clips and quotes and texts and transcriptions. And isn't that all great? Wow, I took 30 minutes to record. I hit a button and I got a month of content. Now, the reason why I know that's in its early phases is because um, that's what I'd like to build a business around. And I know the tech doesn't exist to do it. You yeah. also, as I understand, are under the impression that the answer for that coexistence is probably not AI. So then where does the technology meet the creativity if not via some higher computing power? That's a great question. And I think it depends on the output. So for, so for example, if you're creating a static, a static ad or, or a 15 second ad and you're trying to sell cars to, you know, 18 to 35 year old, you know, women, yet, yes, there is technology that might be able to very arbitrarily, you know, patch together, you know, the footage of the car, the footage of a, of a female of that age group, footage of a particular hobby she might have and, and, and sort of put that together. And then that's the kind of asset you distribute at mass scale. By mass scale, I mean, you know, tens of millions of, of impressions, if not more. But on the flip side, if you go back to long form content, that there's just, um, I, I don't think AI can replace human empathy. Uh, I, I think it can do a good job at understanding what people and audiences like, but it, it can't create content. You, you, it, it needs that human, that human touch, that human, that human input. So I think it depends on the end use. I think AI has a place. I think a lot of people sort of mix up you know, sort of AI and, and, and machine learning, you know, AI is very few people have cracked that yet. Um, it's, but it's a widely used term. But I, I think right now, I think it just depends on what is being, you know, what are you trying to achieve at the end of the day? If you're trying to create, you know, award-winning long-form content, I don't think you're going to find a machine in AI that can go out, write a script, film content, stitch it together and, and, and resonate with people. I agree. I've seen <laughs> attempts at it right now. It's like, uh, normally they're just like funny videos of TikTok of like, I told a robot to write a script about this and it's ridiculous, right? You'll never get that truly. Um, you know, I, and then on the other hand, there's some other people who have talked to that tell me straight up AI is not real. I don't know about that, but basically that it's just a mathematical application that is done to a degree which humans cannot do in a certain amount of time. So I get that. Okay. So at the end of the day, sounds like the A uh, can't stand for artificial. It's got to stand for authentic, according to you, uh, which is a Great segue because I like that word a lot. So I will uh, start the defining portion of the interview where I ask you to define some things. 
Um, start with that word authenticity. How do you look at it? How do you define it? How has it changed? What is it to you? What is it? What is it to us? I think the question is, what is authenticity to everybody? I think everybody has differing opinions of what authenticity is. I mean, if, if we speak in the brand context, some brands think they're being authentic by doing, you know, very, very, very arbitrary, you know, communications. And, you know, they might think that's authentic. You know, the average person might look at that and, and actually just see, you know, see completely the opposite. But, but for me, authenticness is how do you go down into the weeds of, of, of who you really are? You know, what, what is your actual purpose? What is your meaning? What do you stand for? Um, and, and, and do you actually, do you actually live it? You know, do, you know, you, you might talk about being empathetic and authentic brand, but, you know, right down to the deepest level when, when your customers or your consumers or your stakeholders look at you, do they, do they see it? Do they see it in your actions and the messages you give people that you work with employ? I, I think that for me is sort of authenticity and, I think a lot of people probably got away with in the past, but I think people are so smart now. Consumers are so smart. They know where to go looking. Um, and I think that's, that for me is authenticity from, from the top level message right down to the real core of what it is that you do. Is it transparent? Can people see it? And then I think you're authentic. So then let me ask you another question. Mm. I'm not going to get very deep here, but maybe a little bit. It's broad. All right. We'll try to, we'll try to make this as, as, as eloquent as possible. What do you stand for then? So, so, so what do I stand for? I, I think it's really interesting because we've actually been going through, you know, where we're going, going, going forward. And I know we haven't talked about that, but I, I tried to imprint as a, as a founder sort of what I believe into, 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 into ClickOn. Um, and I think actually we, we riffed on it for a long time and, you know, we, you go down this route of all these arbitrary values. And I actually came back to what, what do I, you know, what do I stand for and what do we stand for as founders? And actually it's more about legacy. And, and, and I said, rather than come up with six random words, be bold, be, you know, be, be this, be that, just stand for legacy. You know, you, you are, you know, you are how you, in, you know, how you act with your clients, how you act with others, you know, the products you build when you go to work, you know, your time at work, every, everything you do is, is contributing towards something. Just make sure it stands for something, you know, give it, give it your all, look back in 10 years time and, and feel like you've contributed either to, to creating an amazing business that stands for something or. Or given back to society, or brands, or or just done something that that that, that stands for something. So, in a weird roundabout way, we're now trying to sort of integrate, I guess, what I believe into the into the company. And I think it's just, I think it sits around legacy. It's it's one word. It means many things, and and people can remember it. Where do you think brands are misstepping in their path to get there? Why do I think that? Probably mixing mixing up the need to you know the, the the need to sell and the need to sort of achieve their overall business mission and not focusing enough on the reason why they why they exist. I think newer brands struggle with this way less than than, than older brands, um, you know, because generally the the newer age brands are more founder led. They're, they're rooted in a sense of purpose, and and a lot of larger, more established brands aren't necessarily, you know, the, the founders aren't still there that the reason for existing aren't necessarily as, as, as strong as they were when they were created. So I, I think it's, I, I think they just need to try and go, you know, for, for, for older brands, they have to try and go back to what is the core, core reason for their existence and try and be authentic in, in what that is. And, and don't try and just patch it up superficially for, for modern brands. I, I, they've been around in the digital age. They, they probably don't need to, they don't need to sell it. It's there for everyone to see. Let's stick with brands for a second, because you, <clears throat> As far as I know, again, I, I'm not as like worldly knowledgeable in this as I should be, maybe. This whole world of content tech, again, it's even a term that I can't fully wrap my brain around. 
where where is it going? Because like you're not the only person thinking about this, surely. So, yeah. what is what are brands going to expect? And I don't know what timeline you want to use here because a year is probably short. Um, but let's say five. I mean, where where what will brands expect within five years with regard to the technology side of its content house? Other I, than like whether well, they're using ClickOn, which would be cool, which would be great. Oh, that would be that, that would be that would be great. That's where we that's <laughs> where we awesome. want that's where we yeah, want right. to be. Powering, prove that guy wrong. Powering creativity for the for the brands of the future. That's that's where we want to be. But yeah. where, where, where do I think it's going? I, I I think a lot of it is just is automating the the sort of the creation of content, getting better at it, doing more of it at scale. Content is not going anywhere. The need for it is not going anywhere. The platforms. You know, just 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 as everybody thinks that you know that Twitter and Facebook have reached their sort of their apex pinnacle, TikTok comes along, and I think it's it's it crushes I think, it all. I don't and think long, it's and, and me as a podcaster, poof. I like <laughs> I, let, me, let me tell you a story. I make podcasts. I've talked to some fantastic people, advertising legends, right? Um, the audience is just different between that and a fifteen second TikTok about some like crazy move a brand made, and the attention is wild. Yeah, uh, it made me happy for like the opportunity <laughs> at the same time I was like, geez, man, some people are going to listen to 15 seconds long, you know, more so than 15 minutes. Anyway, go ahead. I didn't mean to cut yeah, you. You're, in, you're in the hot seat. I, I read recently a hundred million, a hundred million Americans listen to podcasts. I can't remember what it is now is whether it's every day or every year. I can't remember, but the, it just, the growth is huge. Anyway, that is, a, that, is, that is a lot of Tam for me to go after. I'm going to keep that <laughs> in my mind. hundred million would be sweet. <laughs> I, I, I'm not answering your question. I, for, for, for me, so where do we get to? I, I think brands adopting technology more and telling telling better stories at scale, I think, is where they're trying to get to in the short term. Yeah. And then you get onto this topic of the metaverse and everything, and, and like a, a sort of five to ten year play. Um, I, I don't know. I have, I have my real, own. By the way, can I? I, I know. We, I, I know the metaverse wasn't on our list of topics we're going after, but is that real? Like, I don't know. I don't know. I, I speak. I, everybody I speak to, I should ask you. I, I like. So, what do you think in the metaverse? And everyone looks at me. You know, they're going, "Yeah, yeah, it's really interesting." And I was like, "Just tell me what you think it is." And then they look at me, and they you see they see the panic in their eyes, and and I, I get a different explanation from everybody. Um, I, I think we may get to a, a metaverse world. I mean, you know, there's enough money going behind it, but if, if a metaverse is an alternate reality, surely that means that everybody needs to be using Google glasses or an Oculus headset. But right. Less than less than zero point zero one percent of the world's population uses it. So, mm-hmm. I mean, what does that what does that mean? I, I guess it has a long way to go. I suppose uh, so. Yeah. Okay. Then let's exclude that from the timeline because, like, they they will like, brands will ask about it, but I don't even. It's not real enough yet to. I mean, right now it's just some like overly animated ad, isn't it? Which wasn't even filmed in a metaverse. So, <laughs> so I think you know, I, I think I think we'll get there. Um, you know, I think. Every, a lot of people think it's a great thing. Some people think it's a bad thing, you know, and are Facebook the right people to, to be the ones building a metaverse? Who knows? That's, uh, that's a whole nother, that's a whole nother podcast. Yeah. It's a whole nother 35 minutes. So I don't want to derail you here. Yeah. Um, so, so, so what do I think? I, I think it's adopting technology, creating great content and just standing for something over the next sort of three, three to four years. Um, hmm. Automation will come more into the mix, but I think it's just brands understanding how to create more at scale. The metaverse comes that comes next. Right. Agreed. Well, I'll then I'll, I'll end with an ask for advice. And I do, and I ask everybody this pretty much, but especially somebody who has made their whole business in like, t- like showing brands how to better story tell and knowing how to do it in a way, which is 
authentic to whatever you believe and whatever they believe. What advice can you give these listeners or viewers who are in the most case, they're, they're one of two buckets. They are either at the CXO level, there's a lot of them, and then uh, people who are just trying to like claw their way up the ladder of like probably most likely they're marketing groups, but people who are trying to get a little more creative and cutting edge and maybe even start their own thing. Uh, what advice can you give to them about how to find them's, their own or their brand's personal truth? And essentially what I'm asking here is what advice can you give them as to how the, to pave their own authentic avenue, which I had to do? Of course you did. Of course you did. I knew that was coming. I knew yeah, that had to be is. in there somewhere. Yep. Boil it down to the honest stories of the, of the of the people that make up the brand, whether it's whether it's employees, you know, whether it's the people that you're selling to, or the, or the people that you're helping, uh, depending on what sector you're in, and and just craft honest stories. You know, every, every campaign that you do, make sure it always feeds back to to something of meaning, something of purpose, and we've seen huge results with that. You know, if you're trying to sell, if you're, you're trying to sell bottled water, because I'm looking at something here, you know, make sure that when you're you know you're blitzing people with ads make sure that you actually build a journey back to something that actually stands for something, whether it's a long form piece of content, a story about who you are, how you're giving back, what you, you know, what you mean to the world. Because I think there are audiences out there now who I think they do care about that stuff and they are starting to look for that stuff before they consider buying that bottle of water. I, I think that's the big shift that's, that's going to start happening. Um, I, I really do. I really do believe that. I'm hearing it being called belief driven buying. Is that something you've heard? Yeah, I, I, I honestly, I'm, I'm seeing more of it. I'm seeing it's, it doesn't matter what it is, whether it's belief-driven employment, you know, it's, it's everybody is asking these, you know, what do you stand for in this context? You know, what do you believe? You know, what are you, what are you supporting? You know, how are you, how, how are you going to help me as an individual um, give back? Or, you know, I had that yesterday and, and I, I thought that was really powerful because that's exactly what we want to be doing. It's actually, how do you help employees give back from the point of the brand? How do you, how do you show your consumers that you're also getting back as well as selling them something? Hmm. Well, I think we all uh, need to take after that example a little bit more. And um, I think what people who are listening to this or viewing this probably should do is, yeah, l lean more into how you can invest properly in tech. That isn't just like file storage. Um, because... I tend to agree when I think of content groups, I still think of people behind the camera mostly. I don't think about the technology side because I still think it's early, but I'm glad I was able to learn a little about it, a bit about it from you and, and, and the click on story, obviously being at the front of the charge is cool. So thank you for the time and joining me here and teaching me a thing or two and best of luck for the next five years of click on. Always a pleasure. Great chat, Adam. I hope you enjoyed that conversation. The reason why I did is because I think we're just on the precipice of what content technology is. If you think about like extending the value of a core asset, I think about it in podcasts a lot. Like, yeah, I laid down this, what, probably 40 minute ish show right here. Like I should be able to explode that into like a bazillion roughly pieces of content. If I had some tech that could help me do that thoughtfully, or at least technology that could connect me to people to help me do that quickly and in one place, um, that's extremely valuable. And I think that any brand who is taking things in-house or who is just looking to get a little smarter about it should be thinking about investing somewhere in there. Rich is obviously doing it through ClickOn. I imagine that that trend will only grow and that there will be other companies trying to do what he does, but I'm glad he's ahead of the curve. And I'm glad he talked to me and I'm glad he shared it with you. 
So uh, that's that. And I'll be back again uh, real soon with another podcast talking about this great A word, hopefully talking to another great founder. And until then, you can connect with me everywhere. Is this YouTube? Are you listening? LinkedIn, Adam Connor, Authentic Avenue. Connect with me there. Um, email me, adam at authav.com. It's a shortening of the full website. And that's about it. And I'll sign off as I always do. Until the next time that I get real again with you, thanks for taking a walk with me down Authentic Avenue. And we'll see you later.